Hey, thanks so much for being here. This is My City Church, and this is our podcast. We hope you are inspired to love God, love people, and lead in life. Enjoy the message. How are you guys doing today? Doing good? Got one person doing good? How's everyone else doing today? Good? Yeah? Super solid. How, how am I doing? I'm blessed. I'm blessed. I feel like God's given me a, a good word for the church today. So I hope that you're ready and, and, and open to receiving what God has for you today. And uh, how many of you guys brought your Bibles? Uh, let me see them. Keep them up in the air. If it's on your phone, that's fine. If you're a little bit late to the game and you want to pull up your phone anyways, go ahead. Keep it up. Keep it up. I didn't say put it down. Keep it up. Awesome. Awesome. Say these words out to me. Say, this is my Bible. Say, speak to me, Bible. Now I'm going to have you open up your Bible. I don't really have a, I got a lot of verses to share with you today. And uh, it's not necessarily that um, I don't have a central theme that I'm going for today, but more on like, I'm going to have an opening verse, but I'm going to be sharing with you a theme in the Bible more than about a verse. So sometimes I'll go through a a message and talk a little bit about that verse. But what I'm going to try to describe to you today is is an overarching theme that I find throughout the Bible when it when it talks about like our the state of where we are in has Christian followers of God, believers in Christ, how we are saved, but we're still on a journey, how we're following God, but we also have a tendency to go back to some things and how do we how, where do we go from there and what is this battle that rages on within us this side of heaven uh, I say this side of heaven because there is another life it's it's not just a life you actually live twice uh, you live here on earth and then you live either eternally in heaven or or for a really long time in hell and I say a really long time because Revelation talks about a time where it actually does hell eventually ends um, but uh that, that, not, to, not to distract you on anything of, of that sort. Um, but so I don't really have a, a main scripture that I'm going to be talking about today. But my, I'm going to do my best to describe to you what I see in the Bible. Can I tell you that it's important to read your Bible? And we can go through church each and every week. We can, we can come into church. We can clock in, clock out. And we can always wonder, well, why doesn't anything change? Your transformation happens uh, from the word of God that you as a, as a human being, you were made to worship God. As a human being, you, there is so much more to life than just getting your, your, your needs met. There is so much more to life that you are a person made in the image of God. And so since you are a person made in the image of God, you actually have a role to play here on earth. And what I am believing for today is that uh, we wouldn't necessarily just read scripture, but scripture would read us. And so I have a lot of scriptures that I'll be pulling up on screen. Uh, you can find your favorite ones if you want or take a picture of your favorite ones. And uh, it's gonna, I'm going to do my best to try to describe this theme that I'm finding uh, throughout the New Testament. And we start in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. It says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world... Love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away. So this was talking about like 
this, this life that we're living. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. We were talking about last week about how the church is like the bride of Christ and that God is coming back for his church. And what I know about God is God is not coming back for a, a leadership church. God is not coming back for an evangelistic church. God is not coming back for the best music, the best worship, the best songs, the best screens, the best, the best. He's not even necessarily coming back for the most friendly church. He's coming back for the holy church. Ephesians 5, 27 says, and to present herself to him, self, as a radiant church. So God's desire is to present us, us as in the church, to Christ one day without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless before God. Our relationship with God is that like a, like a husband and a wife. So Christ being the husband in the church, I'm talking about the church body being the bride of Christ. It's, it's, it's like that. And when we as a church turn away from God, it is as if we had committed adultery with the world and turned away from God. Last week we talked about how we are called to have our delight in the law of the Lord, not necessarily on restriction or the thou shall not statements, um, but those should be our delight. We talked about how Balaam was, was, he wanted to go with King Balak to go curse Israel, but he said these words, the Lord refused to let me go and that God will ultimately let you get what you want and that you, if you make a choice based off of what you want, most times you will choose something contrary to God because we follow our flesh. And, but when we make a choice that is based off restriction, understand that choices based off restriction do not ultimately deal with the heart. Now God is ultimately after our heart. God isn't about a set of rules. He says, be holy for I am holy. So as a people of God, we have got to move from duty to devotion. So God is not after your, your, your church attendance. You don't walk up to the gate and God says, well, you got 50 weeks out of the year. I mean, for some of us, that's really good. <laughs> well, you got half the weeks out of the year. Well, you only skipped on, on these months or these days. God's not looking at your church attendance. God's not even looking about how many times you read the Bible. God's not looking about how many times you prayed. Now, all of these are good things to help align our heart. But when they become the object of our focus, when they become our worship and saying, how do I know if I'm right with God? Well, let me think. If I go to church, um, I'm a good person. But God can have your duty but never have your devotion. And ultimately, God is after your heart. And that's kind of like the highlight of this series. You know, like I was diving into holiness and sex and how it pertains to, to our living. And I was going to go off and talk about all this stuff, such as pornography addiction, I was going to talk about um, soul ties and, and, and people that are going around pursuing their own desires with other people. But the Holy Spirit kept, he would not get this, uh, let this rest off of me. That'll be for another time for us to talk about that. And if you have any questions, I, I did a lot of research about it, so we can certainly talk after service, but nothing's wasted with God. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to be used eventually. And uh, that'll preach. Even the bad stuff isn't wasted with God. So um, I, that's, that's what I believe, and I know that it's true. But I kept going back to this holiness as a church and how God is coming back for a holy bride. He's coming back for a holy people. And we can have it all together on the outside, but God is ultimately at our heart. And if we are going to have it together on the outside, we have to first start with the heart. 
you start with the heart by doing things that require a, a heart motivation, a heart, heart desire. Now, Matthew chapter 23 talks a little bit about this, this, this outside appearance. Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, he says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. He says, you clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, get this, blind Pharisee, he calls them blind, like they don't see what's really going on. God forbid we ever not see what's really going on in our lives and in our church. He says, blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. See, what he's saying is that we can have it all look together on the outside, but still be dirty on the inside. And John talks about these, these three cups that we have. He talks about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. We're not going to be diving into this too much, but the flesh being just a natural thing. So like, so you have a lust of food, uh, uh, a lust of, of, of fulfillment for your own desire. So uh, comfort, shelter, those are just basic needs. But when it becomes beyond, it becomes greed, it becomes a lust. Selfishness, sex, your eyes are covetousness. And last week we talked about how covetousness is a lack of contentment that we always need and want to have more, and it actually causes us to look for fulfillment outside of God, but then also the pride of life, which is actually the root of sin. The pride of life says that I do not need God, that I can be God in my own image, that I can figure out all the world's problems without God, and then I celebrate people who are discovering themselves, who are figuring out all these world's problems without God, when actually it is a result of our distance from God that we look for fulfillment in ourselves. We look for fulfillment in other, other systems. So we, we see this happening with the month of June in Gay Pride Month. Like as a church, as a believer, we are called to abstain from things that are the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and especially the pride of life. We shouldn't take pride in, in anything that the world has to offer. See, all of these things can rob us from holiness. But the hard part about these things is that no one can see them. As we are called by God, we are called to put to death these desires, though. Can I tell you today that God is still cleaning your cup? That salvation is instant, but sanctification, holiness is a journey. And at times, though, it can feel like we are living two lives. That is why we are called by God to put to death our desires. We can, we can have a life where we, we give our whole lives over to Jesus, but then we have a tendency to, to, to step back into the world. We have a tendency to step back into things. That's why Paul says in the book of Colossians 3, 5, he says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly desires, your earthly nature. So he's talking to the church, and he's telling the church, you need to put this to death. This isn't good for you, because Paul has an eternal awareness. Paul is understanding that there's so much more to life than just what he sees. He has an eternal awareness. So he's saying, hey, this isn't good for you. You need to put it to death. Your sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the, in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to one another. So he's talking about this honesty, you know, like being open with one another and being honest with one another. And he's saying, when you have these things going on, you got to put them to death, but don't lie to one another and say when you, do, you really have them going on that you don't. 
So don't go up to another believer and say, yep, I'm perfectly living the walk of Christ. He takes this very seriously. Do not lie to one another since you have taken off your old self with his practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed, that is present, renewed in the knowledge in the image of its creator. So you being made in the image of God. You were made to be holy. You were made to, be, you were made to, to, to walk with God and to be with God. Now keep in mind, again, that this was written to a church. A people who are following God have been told to put this to death. And what I found is that, that this is saying that there is a battle going on for our souls. That even though we are saved and have been born again, we're still called to walk in holiness. This means that there is a level of us that we have to deny to follow Christ. A few weeks back, I talked about how when you walk and you start following Christ, how we sell Christ, quote unquote, is that he'll make your life so much better. And I equated it to a parachute that you wear on a plane. And Christians, we say, here, wear this parachute on the plane ride. It'll make your plane ride so much better. But a person that's wearing that, plane, that parachute on the plane ride will quickly realize this does not make my life so much better. Actually, it makes it tougher. But if when we tell people, hey, you should follow Christ because at any moment this plane is going to crash, break in half midair, and you are going to need that parachute, how many know you're all going to be holding on to that parachute for dear life? I feel like sometimes we have undersold what it actually means to follow Christ. And we are actually doing a disservice to people by telling them, hey, just follow Christ and you'll make your life so much better. Now I believe he does. It's just a different form of life. A life that is really life. It's not the tendency of, of just finding my own satisfaction, my own enjoyment. But there's actually a denying of myself that I'm called to do. Which means I have to say no to certain things. That I can't go around and just say, hey, I'm saved, now I can do whatever I want. There's actually comes a point where you have something called the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And my conviction is different than your conviction. That the Holy Spirit is taking us from glory to glory. Say that with me. Say glory to glory. That God is transforming us and renewing us day by day. And there's things that God will ask some people to do that doesn't necessarily make sense. It'll make sense to the person that God's convicting of. One day, when I was in high school, I used to be a, a mad COD player, like Call of Duty 2. That was my, like, that was my jam. I used to pwn some noobs in that. Anyways, in high school, the, the Holy Spirit convicted me and said, you shouldn't be playing this anymore. And so I interpreted that, well, if I'm a true follower of Christ, I shouldn't be playing this anymore. And I started going up to other believers and telling them, you know, video games are of the devil. And imagine how far that got me. But I learned, and this was what was weird, is one friend, I, I was telling him this, and I could feel the weird weight it was putting on him. It was a weight that I was giving him because of the conviction of the Holy Spirit that was given me for my life, not necessarily his. Does the Bible necessarily say video games are bad? No, probably not, you know. But the Holy Spirit was convicting an idol in my life. And then I turned and I started making it a conviction, not brought by the Holy Spirit, but a conviction of Eli Nelson. And so now this person is being led, and I'm leading them down a path that isn't necessarily turning them to God. I'm just giving them a set of lists and rules to follow. So there are different levels of conviction because God is transferring us, say, from glory to glory. And your struggle is not my struggle. My struggle is not your struggle. That's why we are all called to walk after Christ because the Holy Spirit ultimately knows what's going on in your world. 
in what's going on in your life, but we are not meant to, to, to conceal it and to hide it, but actually to confess it before God and to confess it before one another. So there has to come a point in your life where you actually say no to certain things. 1 Corinthians 6.12 uh, expounds on this. Paul says, I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. So there's no idol in my life. You say food for the stomach and the stomach for food. Well, God will destroy them both. Yes. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality before the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? So he's, he's equating this idea of adultery, like a, a, a spiritual adultery. He says, never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Verse 18, he says, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own, meaning that just because you can doesn't mean you should. You were bought at a price, therefore honor God with your body. Can I tell you, we are called to live holy lives as believers and followers of Christ. That your nature has been changed. Your desires have been changed. You used to walk in these ways, you know, but now I'm dead to Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. 2 Corinthians 5, 15 and 17 says, and he who died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. So a person that once you follow Jesus and choose to follow Jesus, you're actually denying yourself because there's a new nature in town. <laughs> I'm the captain now. It, there's a new captain in charge of your life and it's called the Holy Spirit. And as you yield to the Spirit, you actually give God permission to convict things in our lives that are actually not of God. And what I found though is that we have a tendency to hold on to those things and set limits and parameters on God. God, you can have part of me, not all of me. We sing it, but do we really mean it? Do we really mean when we say, God, you can have all of me? So we have these things that we hold on to. Not only do we have these things that we hold on to, but we also have a tendency to go back to what we knew. We have a tendency to go back to who we were. Last week we talked about that you can always go back to, you have the choice to go back to what you knew. You always have the choice. You never graduate from this. You never graduate from the choice to go back to what you knew. Paul says it like this. This is what he, he, he notices the struggle that is going on between the human flesh, the spirit and the flesh. Romans 7, 15 says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, then I do. So as a Christian, you have this, this propensity to go back to what you knew. But what do you do with that? We're called to be holy because God is holy. But then we step back into it every once in a while. How do we handle that? And I believe that God is coming back for a holy church. Not a leadership church, not an not a evangelistic church, a worship church, a cool church. It's a holy church. So God is coming back for a people that learn how to deny things in order to follow him. To give up things in order to follow him. 
But I ask you this question, how do you respond when you fall short of holiness? How do you respond when you fall short of holiness? Is it guilt? Is it condemnation? Do you beat yourself down? Do you whack-a-mole yourself? How does God respond to you? How does God call us to respond to our brothers and sisters when they wrong us? Well, he gives us a little bit of clue in, in Luke 17, verse 3. He says, if your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. And if this is the standard that God is giving to the believers, the Christians, all that is a reflection of God's heart towards us. That he says, even if you keep coming back to me, can I tell you, I will forgive you. The key is that you have to come back to him. That when you step back into it, that you don't stay here, but you come back to him. See, God has forgiven you already. He's already forgiven you. And we know that there's no guilt or condemnation in Christ. And the Bible says that. But how do, I, I love how Paul, then when he talks about what I hate, I do, and what I, what I don't want to do, and I do, and what I do, I don't do, it's just, there's a whole lot of do's and don'ts, you know, and, and, and do, 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 baby shark, do, 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 baby shark, do, 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 I don't do that. And then I do what I don't want to do, 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 you know. Whole lots of do's. But Paul kind of describes this, this tension that is going back and forth in Romans 8, 5. He says, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. So when you find yourself and your mind being set on what the flesh desires, you are living according to the flesh. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. We talked about how the lovers of the world, you become an enemy to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of God, they do not belong to Christ. So basically, he's saying, like, we can't hold that standard on them because they don't have the Spirit of God in them. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because his Spirit lives in you. So he's talking about this life that is coming to your body that you don't necessarily need to wait for the other side of earth to be in heaven to actually enjoy life right here, right now. When, when I, what I see is a lot of Christians just enter into complacency. This is how I'll am, this is how, who I'll ever be. So God's okay with my sin, necessarily. He loves the sin, but hates the sinner. But when we make a marriage with sin, and we say that it's okay, and we don't continually surrender our lives and confess our sins over to God, what we do is we commit adultery with God. And we actually enter in relationships saying, say, it's all right if I have God and a little bit of sin on the side. And so for us, we are called to always be transformed into the likeness and image of Christ. 
So he's talking about this life to our mortal bodies. Can I tell you that life, not just in the spirit, but also life for your flesh is available today. And I can't help but think how Proverbs talks about this, this idea that when we, when, we, when we commit adultery with the world, how stepping into that actually makes our bones ache. There's a death to our bodies that you're stepping into sin and it actually makes your bones ache and groan and, and your years pass by quickly. Verse 12, he says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. So it's like he's explaining himself by, by living according to the flesh and living according to the Spirit. Fast forward to verse 22. He says, We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption to sonship. So there's this groaning, this wrestling that's going on inside of us for the redemption of our bodies. For in this we hope, in this hope we, have, we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? So this is Paul talking. He's saying that we, we're not quite there yet. That we're, our spirit's saved, but we're still living in the flesh. We still have the body. We're still living in this world. But if we hope for what we do not have yet, we wait for it patiently. So he's, now he's known. He's like, I understand this wrestling that's going on inside of me, and I'm waiting for it. In the same way, though, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Can I tell you, if you're feeling weak today, if you have a tendency to feel weak, that's where God is strongest. Where His grace is made perfect in weakness. And he says, we do not know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Can I tell you, you're not alone. That God is fighting for you. That even when you slip, he is still fighting for you. And he doesn't see when you hit the ground. He knows the moment you slip out of his hand. For those that were on our team, I was carrying uh, Mags around with me for, for team prayer. And she has this little puppy. And I was carrying her around, and I, I turned real quick, and this puppy slipped out of her grip. And before this puppy even hit the ground, she said, puppy, because she knew the moment that she lost it. She knew the moment before it even, I mean, how long does it take to drop something? I'm not going to do that, you know, all the sound guys. No! <laughs> I mean, before it even hit the ground. She already had puppy out of her mouth. And so, she, can I tell you, the same way she knew when she dropped her puppy is the same way that God has a heart towards you the moment that you step out of his grip. That the moment that you start to sin, he already knows. And he's already saying, my child, come back. Because God is with you. The Holy Spirit is interceding on your behalf praying in accordance with the will of God for you. So Paul is saying that we're in a state of not yet. But there is a pride in us that causes us to go around and put on this perception of affection that we've, perfection, that we've already arrived to perfection. We go around in church all the time. When was the last time you sinned, brother? Oh, dare verily thou, brother, I haven't sinneth since the dayeth I accepted the Lord in my heart. I'm a new creation, don't you understand? 
but I, that's a pride in us that ultimately actually hurts the church. And think of it, it actually even hurts the lost. Because then they think that there's a standard that they have to live up to before they can walk with Christ. And what I see is a God that met them right where they are at. He met me right where I was at. And we actually hurt this city by our pride in ourselves that says we have it all figured out. But my city church will be a church full of imperfect people pursuing a perfect God. And we won't have this mask going around. God forbid we ever have a mask going around saying we got it all figured out. Amen. I mean, who's perfect in here? Why do we go around acting like we're perfect? But why do we go around acting like we have it all together? Proverbs 24, 16 says, For a righteous man falls seven times and rise again, but the wicked will fall by calamity. Well, how does a righteous person fall? How can you be calling them righteous if they're falling? Because you're not righteous if you don't fall. You're righteous if you get back up and continue to pursue Christ, saying, I know that there's no guilt or condemnation in Christ, that I can get back up because I know that he loves me and that he is for me. But when I fall, what is that? What is my response to me falling? When I sin, when I, when I, when I step out from his covering, what is your response? There's two kinds of sorrows that we can have, two kinds of sorrows that I want you to take note of today. And there should be sorrow, though, when we fall. There should be, but not condemnation. But this sorrow has to be a godly sorrow, not a worldly sorrow. And 2 Corinthians talks about this, that godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. So now it's this, it's this death, that living by the, the flesh versus living by the spirit. Because there's certain things that the flesh wants and certain things that the flesh desires. Even when it looks right, it can still be wrong. Because there's certain things that the flesh wants. Two kinds of sorrows. That when I fall and I go and I confess myself to God, if my motivation of confession is based off of God's usability of me, that man, I sin, maybe God's not gonna be able to use me anymore, so I gotta turn to God and I gotta confess my sin so that he can use me again. I mean, we've all been there, I've been there. That I'm gonna confess my sin to God because if I don't, God's not gonna be able to use me. But what I found is that is a worldly sorrow. That is a worldly repentance. And that has nothing in the kingdom of God. It's actually a selfish, motivated repentance because my confession is based off of my calling. You are afraid, we are afraid that our sin would keep us from being used by God. So the focus of our sorrow is us. It is a worldly sorrow. There's two kinds of sorrows. Worldly sorrow is focused on self. Godly sorrow is focused on God. That your heart breaks because you know that what you did hurts God. You understand that Jesus died to set you free from that sin and participating in it means participating in what hung Jesus on the cross. So there's a godly sorrow where I realize what I did actually hurts God. That what I'm doing actually is not even close to the heart of God. And I, so I fully surrender my life over to him. And I say, God, whatever you want with what I did, 
That's your choice. Because ultimately, I just want to know you. I want to be with you and walk with you. Can I tell you, that's what we're called to do as believers. We're called to know Christ. And there's no better way to know Christ than to read the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh. That was Jesus Christ. And so I'm here to tell you today, stop putting off reading your Bible. Stop putting it off. Download it on your phone. Get the Bible app. Wake up in the morning, hit play. If you want to do one and a half times speed, go ahead. Some of those genealogies can get kind of hard. But stop putting off reading your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, we got Bibles. We'll give one to you right when you leave. Stop by the Connect Corner. We'll hand it to you. I believe in this so much because this has changed my life. But there's two kind of sorrows, a worldly one and a godly one. We see this example in the Bible, King Saul. King Saul, when he fell, he blamed the people. Then he confesses, I've sinned. Then he asked Samuel to honor himself before the people. In 1 Samuel 15, verse 30, Saul replied, I have sinned, but please honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel. See, it's about calling. It's based about what he can do for God, quote unquote. But King David had a different approach. King David committed adultery, not only that, but he killed the woman's husband. This is like something that you see in days of our lives. 2 Samuel 12, 13 shows the state of David, though. After he was exposed by the prophet Nathan, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Saul said, I sinned. David said, no, I sinned against the Lord. I sinned against the Lord. David knew that he hurt God. His sorrow was not focused on himself. He was heartbroken, and he actually laid before the Lord and fasted seven days. But we get a little glimpse into his heart as godly sorrow in Psalm 51, verse 4. He says, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. So what is he doing? He's saying, God, the ball's in your court. Now do with this what you want. If I need to pay the penalty for my sin, whatever I need to do, thank God we don't need to do that. But when we surrender over to God and we don't say, well, I'm going to confess just enough so that God can use me again, that's a worldly sorrow. And when we have that worldly sorrow, we actually go back to what we knew. We'll have a tendency to go back to what we knew. Because God ultimately came so that we may be free, not just in heaven, but free on earth. How many of y'all have some chains that drag you down every once in a while? Okay, one, two, about 12 of us. So I'm going to be preaching to these right here. So here, we can just have a little talk here. Is this going to ruin the mic? Oh. Don't worry about the face lights. We all have something that we go back into. Whatever it may be, you know it. I know mine, and I'm not here to expose it. By the way, when we do prophetic words over people, some people get all freaked out. You're going to expose my sin. Well, the prophetic is made to edify the body, not to tear it down. So if someone's working in that gift, they're actually destroying the body. So you don't need to be afraid to be prophesied over. I hope they don't call me out type thing, because God always calls us to greater. He doesn't just go and point out our failures and, and insufficiencies. Holy Spirit, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. This is the conviction of the Holy Spirit's for. And there's times in your life where you need to be told by someone that this is wrong and this is right. You need to be able to ask God. 
but I'm sitting here because I'm sitting here like as if we're at a table and we're having coffee together because some of these are personal issues that we all have. And can I tell you that God ultimately desires that you be set free from these issues? And how we be set free from them, there, there's two different things that we have to follow. We can't hide it anymore. You can't continue living this life that's draining your, your bones thinking, when am I gonna be found out? So husbands or wives in here, that if you have some kind of struggle or addiction and your, your spouse doesn't know about it, you'll go around thinking, when am I gonna be found out? And that's a horrible place to live. And we're called to be open and honest to one another. And I wanna encourage you that if there's some things going on in your life and you haven't been open with your spouse, you can share with them. Now spouse, husband or wife, if they share something with you, it would be in your best interest to not blow up on them and to not take it personally because they're confiding in you. They're coming to you and saying, I need help. I need help. I'm trying to be healed. They're not coming to brag. They're coming to try to be honest. And one of the worst things you can do to your marriage is when your spouse is honest with you to take personal offense to it and shut them off. That'll be the last time they ever come up to you. That'll destroy your marriage. Being able to be open and vulnerable. And now, maybe some of you will have, like, let's say if it's like a sexual struggle or something of that sort. Sometimes the best person to say, guys, sometimes the best person to tell is not your wife. Does she need to be on that journey with you? Maybe not, but she needs to know about it. So you don't go up to her and you ask her what she wants. You ask her and you say, hey, you know what? Like, this is a, this is a thing that I got going on and this is a temptation that I got going on or, or, or wives to husbands. And you ask them, hey, this is my secret. Whether it be uh, shopping a lot and spending a lot of money. You know, there's all sorts of different things. There's some different things that I don't necessarily relate to because that's not my struggle. But there's different struggles that everyone has. There's, there's greed, there's envy, there's strife, there's gossip. Know, and you can ask how, how much your spouse wants to be along with you in that journey. And, but what I found is that you were never meant to do life alone. So sin thrives in darkness. But when it gets exposed, we actually know the truth and the truth will set us free. So if you go around lying all the time, um, I'm going to start praying that God would bring the lies to the light. Because I know that in the light there is freedom. And I want a church that is walking in freedom, not one that has the appearance of godliness, but denies the power thereof. I don't want one that looks good on the outside, but on the inside we're groaning and we're hurting because we're walking in, in a darkness that we were never meant to carry. And so I encourage you that if you haven't sat down and talked with someone about what's going on in your life, find someone. Find someone. Talk to your spouse. Talk to a good bro. Talk to a good sis. What do, what do girls say? It's not bros. Girls, you know, that's why we have groups. To sit down and talk to someone. Don't, don't be holding this on because God has came that you would be set free. And then we're called to know the truth and that truth, truth is meant to permeate through our entire, beating, our entire being and that's through the word of God. Truth based off the word of God. 
When I was in my, my state back in December 27, 2007, when I was so addicted to pornography that I, I was heavily depressed because one sin usually leads to another and the devil's ultimately after to kill, steal, and destroy your life because it's not just this little sin that he has. His ultimate desire is to have you and to destroy you. And so I felt a heaviness of depression on me. I was maybe moments away from ending my life that God showed up in the middle of my life and told me, he said, give me one more chance. My life has never been the same from that moment on. But just a few days later, my mom didn't know, but she gave me a Bible reading plan. And in that Bible reading plan, it has read a Proverbs a day. It's the same Bible reading plan. I've had it for 14 years. Because it's changed my life. I love the one-year Bible, but this one's great. I love my Bible reading plan. And what it is, is, is on day four, it has me read, or day five, it has me read a Proverbs for a day. So I'm reading Proverbs five, not 10 days after, my life was so overcome with lust, I'm reading what the Bible talks about adultery. Can I tell you that everything that you're struggling with in life, the Bible has those answers for. And so get in the word of God. Don't just put it on your bookshelf and blow it off every once in a while because you know, it's important to read your Bible. And I'm reading through here, and as a 17-year-old kid, I'm reading all these things that the Bible says about this issue. And I'm finding freedom coming to my life. And you can see it, I just have it marked up. There's 17-year-old me, he, he just writes these big old words, read, read, chapter five. And then, well, it goes to chapter seven too. I got right here, keep going, keep going. Because every time I would, I would feel tempted, I would run to the word. I wouldn't just say, no, I'm not gonna do that. I don't wanna do that. No, I'd run to God because I'm not gonna put myself in a position where I have to keep saying no. I'm gonna choose to run to God. And then I'd write here, go, do it. And then right here, I said, okay, you can stop now. It's changed my life. The word of God has changed my life. And I can tell you that there is, the power of God is available to change your life as well. What I saw from reading this and what really changed my perspective when it came to lust was I started not looking at women as objects. I started looking at them as daughters of God. That they're not a piece of meat for me to enjoy. But now I can look at a daughter and I can see a child of God. And now when I see promiscuity, it actually breaks my heart because it breaks God's heart. And so my alignment isn't on what I wanna do, what I don't wanna do. I'm actually carrying the heart of God for God's people. You get that from the word of God, from the truth of God. And so we're called to live in these things. And I'm going just a little bit long here. Like I always say, what else is new? Second Peter 1.3 says this, his divine power has been given us everything we need for a godly life. Through our knowledge of him, so reading the word of God, who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith. So now he's talking about, he's talking about adding things to your faith, adding things to your faith. To, to your life. He says, add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual edification, and to mutual edification love. Say from glory to glory. He's growing you. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, you will keep, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
but whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind. He's, now he's talking about them being blind and nearsighted, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You can stand to your feet. If you get anything from this today, I want you to take home that a Christian doesn't win every battle, but a Christian never stops fighting. We're called to get back up. And I'm here today to tell you that if you feel like the arm of the Lord is too short to love you, can tell you that if he loved you yesterday when you were saved, he'll love you tomorrow even when you sin. That there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Can I ask you, when you raise your hand for salvation or when you prayed that heart on that cold winter night like it was for me, was God happy with you then? Can I tell you that when you're walking this life of purity and let's say you've done three months sober or four months without sinning or lusting or anything of that sort or Three months, seven months, a year. Does God love you more now? No. Does God know the future? He knows all the possibilities that you could do and things that you could step into. He knows all these things that you could do. And he chose to forgive you of your sins even before you did them. So the key is for us to confess our sins to God. We are called to confess you because if he loved you yesterday, he still loves you today, and he'll still love you tomorrow. So as a child of God, don't stay over here when you sin and step back into the world. Confess and come right back to God because he's right there waiting for you. Anything that is keeping you from doing that, that's the lies of the devil. God already, he, knows, he noticed the moment you slipped out of his hand but none can take them out of his hand. And so I got two keys for you for purity on earth while we, rate, we wait the redemption of our earthly bodies. These are some two things that we gotta keep in mind. Number one, we gotta confess to God. Confess to God. First John 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So this is believers. He's talking to believers about confessing their sins. But Proverbs 28, 13 says that whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. So we're called to confess to God, but also this, number two, and this is where it can get a little hard, and, and, we'll, and we'll bring it down just a little bit here, Chris. This is where it can get hard for a lot of us, is that we can confess to God, but we're also called to confess to one another. We're called to confess to one another. Well, that, that means that there might be some things that'll come out. So what? How long do you want to live in bondage? How long do you want to live bound up in chains? Take the step today to be set free because there's a wound that has happened in your life that you're trying to find fulfillment outside of God. And for you to be healed, James 5, 16 says, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Because the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Every Thursday morning, we do this for men's prayer. We gather together, two, three guys, four guys, sometimes to be a little ambitious and you do five, you know. But if there's something going on in your life, you're called to just confess it. Hey man, 
did this, or you gotta have someone in your life that you're confessing to one another with. So I wanna create an opportunity right here, and I'm gonna ask the directors to come down to the front. As a church, we're gonna make a, a decision now. We're not gonna live in, in, in darkness anymore. Now we can give this perception that we're strong believers, but can I tell you, you are only as strong as you are humble because pride comes before the fall and before destruction. So as believers, we are called to be humble with one another. If you have some things going on in your life that you, you're the only person that you know about, come up here, find a sister, find a brother saying, hey, I need help, I need prayer. It might not be all fixed right then and there, who knows, power of God come on in your life, you'll be set free today. You don't know what's on the other side of your obedience. But I wanna create a moment right now. If you're feeling that, come on, start, start coming up to the front. Find a brother, find a sister, come get prayer for her. I'll be down here, I'm gonna be open to be praying for you. And we're gonna create a moment right now where people can come together. Because some people are gonna be set free today. I'm believing that some people are gonna be healed today. And if there's some things going on in your life, now is the perfect opportunity to find freedom and healing. Let me pray for you. Father God, I thank you for, for your people. God, I pray that we would find healing in your name. God, that we would find deliverance and healing in our confession to you, but also to one another. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would convict that if there's people in this room right now that are feeling, oh, should I go up, should I not, should I get prayer? Holy Spirit, don't let off of them. Keep, God, that's what God's gonna do. He's gonna keep, you know, if you feel it in your heart, just take that step. Just take that step. You don't know what's on the other side of your obedience. Come get prayer. Come confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. This is the word of God talking, not some man's opinion. This is the word of God. We're not perfect, not in the least bit, but here we are, a bunch of imperfect people pursuing a perfect God. So why don't you come down to the front right now, amen. We can go back in. Thank you so much for listening today. And we want to give a special thank you to those that give so generously to My City Church. We wouldn't be able to do this without you. If you would like to give today, please hit the link in the description or go to our website at mycitychurch.cc forward slash give. And if you enjoyed today's podcast, please hit the subscribe button and share it on all of your social media. We love you so much. We'll see you next week. God bless.